six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. We have commit and we have liftoff at 213. And it has cleared the tower. Prepare yourself for a world Welcome one, welcome all. Conley here, and I have some special guests with me today. Uh, I have Daniel, David, of course, Dr. Martin Terry, who's been a guest uh, before on the program, and I thank you for being here, Dr. Terry. And uh, I have Carrie as well. What's up, y'all? How's it going? Uh, greetings. Thank you for having us. Doing well. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. This is um, interesting, and I want to welcome you to our little slice of heaven, Alpine, Texas. Have y'all been to Alpine before? Second time for me and Daniel. Oh, really? Second time? So you've been, so you're kind of familiar a little bit. Uh, getting to learn. We've been pretty focused on uh, speaking with Dr. Terry for obvious reasons, which we'll get into, but so yeah. we haven't gotten to explore yet. We actually hope to come back another time and get to go to Big Bend. Mar uh, Carrie's been really excited about that. Oh, Carrie, you got to go to Big Bend, man. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have time to make it on this trip, but next one. Oh, sure. okay. Well, cool, cool. But I'm trying to convince them that they need to make a critical stop in Presidio County on the way back west. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I, I know what stop you're talking about. Beautiful <laughs> area out there. Um, so tell me, uh, what what do y'all do? Where are you from? And uh, what brought you out here? Um, so this is David, and we're uh, in the psychedelic and plant research space. So we're investigating and developing patents and medicines around uh, compounds like mescaline and psilocybin, which people may know for psilocybin mushrooms and things like that, or uh, peyote. And uh, Dr. Terry is kind of, that kind of, he is pretty much the Leeds world expert in, in um, peyote. And so we, me and Daniel kind of have uh, looked up to his work for 20 years in the time that was since we've been in high school. And so now uh, that we're researching these things, it seemed obvious to reach out to him. And uh, we're hoping now to bring that work to collaborate with Sol Ross if we can. Oh, that's great. What, what are you, what kind of collaboration are you kind of looking towards? We're looking to do um, some research to further the knowledge on um, Lophophora species, uh, which is peyote, uh, Williams A. Um, primarily right now, we're going to be growing out specimens and we're going to be doing a battery of experiments and tests on them to determine what metabolites they make exactly, um, how they make them, and how they could be manipulated, possibly. Wow. Well, from your language, uh, y'all sound like you're from a scientific background. Well, I know Dr. Terry definitely is. These guys but, are, too. But but tell me a little bit about y'all's uh, scientific background. Actually, I'm not uh, a scientist. I'm probably the only one here that has a degree in finance. Um, this oh, is Terry. Cool. Uh, but uh, I uh, have been a lifelong advocate for psychedelics and, and plant medicines. Um, may have tried them a time or two. Oh, yeah. Uh, myself. But uh, as this movement has... Um, taken off the legalization starting with with cannabis and with hemp um it's kind of bled into this move this new movement into psychedelics and the benefits that psychedelics can provide uh, especially for mental health patients um yeah in, in uh, especially in the united states right now there's a big movement for that and uh i partnered up with uh daniel and david to uh 
bring to market some of these medicines? The well, there's a science to marketing and uh, finance, too. There, that's a very delicate science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, that, that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. It is a movement right now. And uh, it's very different from the 1940s through the 60s, uh, I would say, because uh, back then they would think that, oh, if you're on those mushrooms or if you're tripping, you know, it's going to cause schizophrenia and it's going to cause this and that. Well, the tune has changed. Uh, am I correct on that? Um, this is David, and I, I definitely say it's changed. But at the same time, I think there's also reasons why they may have thought those things at the time initially. Mm -hmm. um, some of it eventually bled into being scare tactics. But, I mean, initially the studies on LSD were to investigate how mental illness acted because it causes some people to act in a way which is irrational and mimics things like schizophrenia yeah it doesn't have to be that way it's also dose things like that uh and so that's so i can understand why some initial scientists uh when these things were being researched may have uh had those ideas but uh also um i think what we have the benefit of is hindsight and right. seeing seeing how that's played out and so i try not to there's definitely is uh scare tactics in the drug war uh, and that's played out. But I think in the science side, I, th I don't think that necessarily has been the case. I think um, misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah. And well, what do you think uh, us as a society right now, especially here in America? Um, what do you think we're going through as as far as like combating it like a war? You talked about the drug war. It seems like some indigenous uh, tribes and uh, ancient civilizations have actually cultivated these plants and used them for their own self-reflection and their own healing. And in a lot of times their own, uh, rite of passage to, you know, be a good level-headed person in society. What, what are your thoughts on that? The use of, uh, psychedelic substances is widespread and, and has been established for several thousand years. Um, South America, Mesoamerica, even in Europe, there's a, a rich history of use of psychedelics for religious purposes, um, spiritual purposes, but also rites of passages like you were talking about. Um, it's well established and it's, it's, they have a, a, a long history and a culture based on these plants and these practices, which lends towards a safe use of them and an mm -hmm. understood use of them, a prudent use of them. Yeah. Well, uh, Daniel and David, before we get too far in, uh, tell me a little bit about your scientific backgrounds. Uh, well, so I'm, I, I have several degrees, but not in necessarily in this science. I, I have degrees in electronics, electrical stuff, and IT. Um, I'm just kind of, me and David have been on this for a long time, trying to figure things things out based on the limited information that we were given on the research that was done decades ago. Um, and we've just been following it and following it, and we've gotten to the point where we have the knowledge base and we have the opportunity to do the research the right way, we hope. That's great. And it's a passion, right? Absolutely. And, and, and that's different from, you know, sitting down and working on a, a dissertation. You're actually... Waking up thinking about it morning, noon, and night. It's like your whole passion is, is your dis dissertation, right, Dr. Terry? Definitely. Uh, when, when you wrote your, uh, and then Mike there. Yes. Uh, it, when you wrote your dissertation, uh, what, what was that 
particularly like? Because I know it was very similar to the kind of research that they're looking into. Yes, it it was all about changing the opinions and, uh, you know, of, of people out there in our culture who, until just a couple of decades ago, the only way they had to categorize molecules that well, first of all, it's chemistry. It scares a lot of people. And secondly, oh, it's something that causes effects that we don't quite understand in humans. That's really suspect. Sure. Um, I, I just absolutely enjoyed and continue to enjoy that, that sort of uh, permeation from one side to the other of ideas. Um, I, I just, uh, particularly when you get something like archaeology that flows mm-hmm. into chemistry. Sure. Um, the uh, interdisciplinary practice. Absolutely. Of science. That I find just very much to yeah. my liking. That sounds great. David, what about your background? Um, so, originally, I was studying aerospace engineering and marine biology. Wow. Uh, Jacques Cousteau was actually my childhood hero, so Sweet. marine biology was more my passion. But I had family who were uh, pilots and in the Navy, and so my uncle was a nuclear engineer, and so those types of passions and my uh so I have a lot of science and engineering and uh, teachers in my family. So that drove me in that direction. Mm-hmm. And then personal experiences and issues I've had with PTSD and other issues made me find out about the benefits of these variety of things. And then through that, it's that's what drew, that's what drives my passion is that the things that have healed me and allowed me to be able to do this, I want other people to be able to experience that. And then I also wanted to be able to understand why these things help me. And so it's a combination of reading the research that was done, doing other research ourselves. And then uh, at this point, it's even going to go beyond that. The interdisciplinary goes into because, you know, drugs are in terms of human, you know, pharmacokinetics and things like that. Oh, yeah. For medicine, it's how does it relate to your unique, your unique chemistry in your body hmm. and where that, you know, personalized medicine and we're getting to that stage. And I think that's the other part of why certain groups have, or people have certain reactions. Well, I know it's why. Um, and we just had to tease out what all of those little pieces are. And, you know, primarily the psychedelic experience that people have that they think of as one experience or one idea is like, you know, between these compounds is primarily a single receptor that that's how it used to be thought of, which is the five HT two receptor. Yeah. And I think, a lot of people now are familiar with cannabis, at least with hemp, sure. somewhat. And we've all heard the term the entourage effect. Mm-hmm. And people may have heard about terpenes. And they may have heard about CBD or THC or CBG and all of these other compounds that have effects in cannabis. And that it's the merging of those effect, those different compounds that create the overall effect. Very well, nice. well, peyote and lafofora don't just have mescaline. They have lots of compounds. Psychedelic mm-hmm. mushrooms don't just have psilocybin. They have dozens of compounds. So it's... Just a very complex picture. Interesting. Yeah. And so your your goal is to show the healing properties, prove that these are healing, right? And uh, because you've been healed by them, it's kind of like a firsthand uh, experience. And you go through this, you take this journey, you know, you you cross the, the crucible, if you will. And now that you're on the other side, you want to bring people back through and show them that hey, this is okay. Don't be don't be scared. It's all right. Uh, what what do you think? I think that's exactly it. But on the other side is that having been through it, there definitely can be difficult moments in those things. Mm-hmm. And I equate it sometimes the easiest way is like the sound barrier. 
until you hit it, you have turbulence mm. and then you go through it and you're fine. Right. And so, and so it's, but, and it's not going to be a smooth, easy experience for people. Things that change your life aren't going to be easy. Yeah. And so, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Right. And it doesn't mean it's dangerous. Yeah. It just means it's not easy. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And, and and nothing that was, uh, uh, nothing ever came easy. Like that was worth it. Really. It seems like, I think the Joseph Campbell, uh, quote that I always, that always comes to mind when I hear that is, the path of the heroes on the edge of death, right? You're always constantly striving and it's constantly challenging, constantly hard, but that's the path of the hero and your own self hero, right? So uh, it's very, uh, very moving that, that particular chapter in his uh, pathways to bliss book. You should check it out. It's pretty cool. It sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it kind of relates to this uh, psychedelic movement and going to toward uh, finding some clarity with each other and understanding people, not labeling people, oh, you're sick or, oh, you're a hippie stoner or, oh, you're this or, oh, you're that. We're people, right? Um, what are some, what are some of the first steps that y'all took? How did, first off, how did y'all meet? Well, I've known Daniel for most of my life. We grew up in a <laughs> dusty little town in Southern California called Barstow. Barstow, I know. Oh, yeah. man, that's, uh, that's backcountry. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like- <laughs> The best part of Barstool is going right through. You got Hunter S. on there? Yeah, I have Backcountry on one of my arms and then the Gonzo on the other side. So All right. I'm very much, that is exactly right, Backcountry. So that obviously likely influenced me. <laughs> I love Hunter S. too growing up. So so y'all y'all met in Barstow. Y'all grew up. How'd you come across Carrie? Uh, actually, a friend, uh, a Holden, who's an amazing chef. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one day, I'm, I don't even remember what I was doing in my, my apartment or my house. And I get a call from him and he's like, here, talk to, talk to Carrie. I'm like, who's Carrie? Just talk to him. (laughs) (laughs) And he was in the car with Carrie. And then that's history, I guess. Yeah. About a year ago. So, um, the the past couple of years, I had a, I've had an interesting career in, in, uh, in my endeavors in finance. I, uh, spent a couple of years at Merrill Lynch. I was doing, um, wealth management and, uh, advising. And I was, uh, one of the first, people to decide I wanted to get involved in um, cannabis-related finance. I was uh, kind of exposed to how deal-making worked in Canada from some Canadian friends of mine. I've been living in Los Angeles at this point for you know, almost 10 years. Wow. And um, I had an ex-girlfriend who was from Vancouver. And um, short story, I made friends with some of her friends, and they were doing a a lot of the initial uh, Canadians, um, cannabis stocks and things like that. And I thought that was really fascinating. So I was like, okay, I want to get involved with this prop 64 passed in California. I said, I wanted to get more involved in, in kind of the legal structure of things and, and seeing what I could do with regards to finance and that I got involved in some development of some, um, real estate projects there. And also through that kind of learned the ropes of, of, of how the, the the market was going to emerge and how brands were going to start being made and, and things of that nature. And, uh, started getting involved in some mergers and acquisitions and, um, you know, go public deals and of that nature. And I saw that shift happening in Canada a little earlier than it was happening down here. And the same kind of wave was kind of going through mm. into the psychedelic movement and especially, uh, psilocybin based mushrooms mm-hmm. and, and the, those therapies. I'm sure, Many people have heard of Compass Pathways sure. or Thai Life Sciences, which are now you know NASDAQ companies. Um, so 
I, I saw that there was going to be a desire for those companies to get into bed with some companies south of the border in America as well, um, because there's such a much larger, rich population in the United States. And also, there's more universities willing to go forward and do that type of research in the United States than there is anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Holden, a mutual friend of ours, overheard me talking to um, my partner in, in Thailand, who I, we have a, a cannabis license in Thailand. We were one of the first groups out there to, to secure that. We have a good friend who's a local in Bangkok who helped us secure that. Sweet. And uh, so he overheard me having conversation, and we were talking about some cannabis brand development stuff at the time. And he was like, oh, you got you to gotta meet my friend David. And he didn't really know how interested I was. In, in psychedelics at the time, he thought I was more interested in hemp and cannabis and things of that nature. But as soon as I met David, I heard him talking. I was like, uh, would, "Would you be interested in being a chief science officer for psychedelics corporation?" And, uh, <laughs> you know, one thing led to another, and yeah, now we, we that's are. the universe like working together, right? Yeah. To to bring you all like here together. Now, what? Who reached out to Doctor Terry? Uh, that would be me, uh, David. I initially re man, when was it initially? So I've been trying to find a way to contact. So I, most of your listeners, I don't know how much people know, but about like the license and the research that he's already done here. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, well, he's world renowned. I, that's world what I mean. Renowned. So it's yeah. like, well, of course that's who you do to me. And, yeah. yeah. And so it seemed obvious. And so I tried at first, but first you couldn't even find a way to get a hold of him. Yeah. And so it was like how to, cause I didn't even in the papers that were initially published, it doesn't necessarily say Sol Ross State University. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. it was because uh, some of it was before any of this research was happening. Well, it was here, <laughs> <laughs> and so and so it was uh, Keeper Trout, and he was usually Trout and Terry. Yeah. And if you so if your researchers ever see a paper that says Trout and Terry, it's their it's someone who, who used to teach here yeah. or does you know and works here now. And so from seeing all that it was like eventually that the Cactus Conservation Institute, which is their work, mm -hmm. uh, and others, and then. Through that, it was like just getting all the people there. And then one day I stumbled into one of the papers that had you listed at, at Sol Ross. And I was like, okay. And then and that's eventually how it, it was like, okay, Sol Ross, that's how. Okay. And then within six months, we were talking. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. So uh, that, that's really cool. Carrie, that's interesting. It seems like you... I'm kind of bouncing around because all of you have such unique and interesting personalities and I, I just want to learn more. Uh, right. Uh, I'm, Dr. Terry and I, we, we've, uh, he's actually my professor at Sol Ross State University. He taught me botany and, uh, I, and, and I learned something. Yeah. A statement. I know what a statement is, yes. but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, anyway, uh, Carrie, it, it was interesting that, uh, you see, it seems like, all the research that uh, Daniel and David are doing right now fits this pattern that has happened already in Canada. And you've seen a pattern there that's successful. I, and, and I could be completely wrong, but this is just how I'm kind of gauging, you know, where everything is. And, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but something obviously worked in Canada. And now it seems like it's going to work here. And that's what makes this whole pursuit of finding this medicine all worth it for the benefit of everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, Canada has been the first, I would say, an industrialized first world country to, to you know, go through that decriminalization of certain scheduled psychedelics and 
being able to test them. And, you know, normally what's, what's happened is the West coast of the United States has kind of followed suit or kind of gone along the same way. And, and it's, it's the same thing that's kind of happened in Canada with British Columbia kind of leading the way. And, you know, the, the researchers at the university of British Columbia, especially uh-huh. um, leading the nationalization movement here. So we, we're, we're hopeful the same thing happens in the United States, you know, with what's happening along the West coast with the recent decriminalization in California, legalization in Oregon and, Hopefully uh, Washington's next. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of like a chain reaction effect. It's like, you know, we're the Lois and Clarks or Lewis and Clarks or of uh, the psychedelic world. It seems like y'all are, you know, like and uh, it, it's uh, sounds like y'all have a great team. And and that now joining forces with Dr. Terry uh, and, and the knowledge that you have in, in your specialty uh, that um, things look bright for the future. What are some of the next steps? that y'all are taking and, and what, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to right now from this point on? Oh, on this trip, we're mostly trying to uh, align everything with the university here so we can continue the, that Martin's work and our work and merge those two things here because, uh, for to research these things in the United States further, you need uh, more access and that requires in the United States DEA or in Canada, Health Canada licensing, which is kind of their equivalent of like the FDA and the DA merged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so our goal is to, we're going to be working with UBC, as he was mentioning, to cultivate mushrooms with one project there. And then in the United States, we're hoping that we're finishing the alignment here with Solros to hopefully work with the, to expand the greenhouse project for, for Lafa 4 and other cacti here. Wow. So then we theoretically will be then working with them and uh, such at universities like UT uh, in Arlington to uh, hopefully to be, we're meeting with them as well, uh, to then uh, analyze these things deeper to find new medicines because uh, while mescaline is known and we know how that, and we know some things about that, but not very much, we know even less about the other compounds that are in there. We mm. still find new, using the new analytical methods that we have and new techniques and machines, they're still identifying new cannabinoids in cannabis every year. Wow. And so imagine what we'll find in these plants, which we have barely looked at. Yeah. Yeah. So you think as the law changes and people start accepting a little bit more, research will change almost drastically. Do you think you could get further uh, without those restrictions? We can't really continue the work at all in the United States with, in this, without doing that. Yeah. The only way to do the work in the United States is through DEA licensure, uh, the way that it's currently set up. In Port in Oregon, like you said, they decriminalized uh, a lot of things, and so but psilocybin's the only one that's going to be kind of legalized. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know Oakland and then Denver have decriminalized uh, those as well, and a few other places. And then, for example, New Hampshire just uh, Supreme Court just ruled for religious purposes psilocybin mushrooms are legal. So you're having these cascading effects. And then also even, uh, you know, DMT containing teas are allowed for groups like Union de Vegetal or, uh, and, um, Santo Diem, which are from the Amazon regions. Yeah. Uh, and then they've won Supreme court cases to use those for, for religious use. And so I think what's going to happen likely is that, um, we'll have religious groups expanding for these things at the same time you'll have medical therapies expanding because also with cannabis has shown you is that uh, GW pharmaceuticals was able to take a controlled substance a plant that you couldn't even grow mm-hmm. get it and get a medicine legalized so even if something is not legal 
for anyone to have, they'll still allow you to get it approved as a medicine. Mm. And that to me uh, was, is amazing because it showed a way through that even if we can't get it legalized as quickly as we want for mm-hmm. everyone to have these things easier, at least we can start getting these very specific therapies through. Mm. Interesting. What, what are your uh, thoughts and opinions on administering this medicine? Because like, it's one thing to go into uh, a place in Colorado or Arizona or I think even New Mexico now, they, they have legalized can- cannabis or they have it for medical purposes. And you go in there and you see Waka Waka Doo Doo, like, all these different like names for crazy names for, <laughs> for different cannabis, like cannabis. I don't know what Northern Lights, all that good stuff. But um, the thing is, I mean, it would be weird to see something that really changes your consciousness in such a dramatic way right next to it. And you go home and, and you take your medicine. But in, in most cultural societies that treat this as a, a sacred uh, ritual, that whole process is completely different. So what do you think about the administration or the uh, administering these kind of products and putting them into society? It's, it's touchy. It's a touchy. Um, it's a touchy uh, question. Um you know, currently we do have therapeutic, um, therapeutic ways to administer psilocybin and, and ketamine, um, and do it within a controlled clinical setting with a doctor there to to give you the therapy as part of the session, um, and that seems to work pretty well. There is a significant screening process, and it doesn't work well for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we have to be leery about just giving you know, free access for everybody to have it. Obviously that probably needs to be eased into, um, I think. However, there is a lot of people that could be held by these medicines. Yeah. And and this is David and I'm torn because I lean towards letting people make decisions for themselves. Um, but I'm also always want to protect people. And so it's hard because I, on one hand, I want to be like anyone who wants to grow these things and to use them should be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's that if they don't have these cultures or these um, uh, practices and methods and they're not initiated, then how do they know how to safely use them? Because, for example, psilocybin mushrooms are relatively safe and a lot of things can be. But if you're taking an MAOI, which is a standard uh, antidepressant drug, you can have complications because those drugs stop your body from a tab- from breaking down some certain compounds. Mm. And so the, the, these things are safe, but when you combine them with other medications, they may not be. And right. so that and the same thing is true with cannabis at times with CBD, where you have people with CBD can interact with other drugs. And so uh, even if the compound itself is safe, is it safe for everyone? Right. Uh, and that's the discussion that everyone should be having with their doctors. Sure. And, I, and that's why I'm leery. I'm, I don't want people to have access to it, but I think that they need to be having those discussions. I don't, I don't think anyone should just go do it and just go do it. You need to be having a discussion with your doctor, even if you're doing it recreationally. Yeah. And do you think the, well, maybe we should take a quick commercial break. And then after the break, Dr. Terry, I would like you to kind of uh, describe uh, the rites of passage that uh, many uh, ancient civilizations have used. Like, just give us an example of what the past has used. And then I want to ask the three of you about uh, how we're going to implement it into, into society and how that should look for our landscape. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back.
<laughs> All right, and we are back. Dr. Terry, uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, really how valuable um, psychedelics are to particular cultures. And uh, can you go through the process and, and maybe name one culture that uses psychedelics as a rite of ceremony or uh, as something very sacred? And how do they use it in society? Well, one of the ones that's nearest at hand is the Native American tradition of using peyote, and specifically peyote. They don't, they don't want any of these other compounds. Peyote is the, the sacramental instrument for them. And uh, they, they, they've been using it for so many centuries that uh, dosing correctly is not an issue. They know exactly how much, you know, is, is a proper, effective human dose. And they know when they've had enough to do the job sure. without, um, you know, uh, stressing uh, the central nervous system, let's say. Mm. Interesting. So what does that look like? Take, take me through the whole entire process. Somebody uh, becomes a certain age or somebody may be ill, maybe going through a tough time, uh, experiencing trauma. They bring them in and go walk, walk me through that process. Well, um, if, if a person is clearly ill, whether that be ill in the sense of a virus or ill in the sense of they really are having trouble with things that we would call um, basically um, mental or psychological problems. Hmm. Um, uh, but... Uh, it, it, the interesting thing about the Native American situation is because they tend to live um, in small groups that know each other very well, and some, many of them are related mm. uh, as well, um, mm. they will get a, an early warning, let's say, that somebody in their tribe or in their tribal group uh, needs some help, mm. needs some medicine. And uh, uh, that becomes generally known throughout the the group, sure, uh, and so they'll they'll say, okay, so let's put up a TP and do a medicine on behalf of this this person who is sick, yeah, and uh, and they do, and that the the basic structure, the physical structure that they work under is is a a, a series of TPs, no, pardon me, you can you can edit that out, right? Okay. Is is a um, a group of sticks, let's call them, but strong sticks that they put up in, in to make a conical structure, uh, which will maybe be 15 feet tall at the apex mm. and maybe uh, 30 feet across uh, at the base. Yes. And um, they will uh, marshal the needed uh, medicine, which, you know, we give a name to uh, as peyote. Mm -hmm. uh, they call it the medicine. Um, Interesting. And um, so there's there's a certain preparation that goes into getting medicine uh, ready for use in a ceremony, in a religious ceremony. So so that's that's more preparation that goes on. Mm. Um, the, the the ceremony itself begins uh, when sun goes down. Sunset is is the marker that's that the, the ceremony can begin. And uh, so the people who want to participate or have been invited to participate are, are basically arranged in a circle around the base of the, the poles that create the conical 
uh, shape of the teepee. Um, and each one is uh, basically sitting on the ground um, and with the legs crossed in a certain way. Um, e everything is ceremonial. Mm -hmm. every, every little uh, nuance is ceremonial in this mm -hmm. ceremony. And uh, singing is one of the primary ways of exerting healing power, group mm. healing power, yeah. by the tribe to, toward the person who needs help, yeah. spiritual help, which, which is not distinguished from physical help. Right. Okay? Right. Um, Interesting. Wow. So, so th this, um, they, they have musical instruments, which we would envy if we could play them the way they do. Um, and it, one of the in things I find interesting is the the uh, the rapidity the the um, the number the number of beats per minute let's say mm -hmm. uh, in a, in a peyote ceremony actually has a, an effect an excitatory effect on certain parts of the human cerebrum and so it's it's a real uh, it's it's a double force that you're you're enacting here yeah. it, 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 there's there's the the, the sound of the drum, there's the visual effect of the, of the um, fire, uh, which has to be tended, by the way. One, one person in the ceremony, his, his or her, usually it's a him, uh, the entire uh, care of the fire is entrusted to this one person. And so every now and then throughout the, the ceremony, you'll see him get up and go over and rearrange the, the sticks that are burning on the ground in the center of the teepee so that, they, so that it burns properly. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so this goes on, singing of songs, incredible. Uh, and I, I don't know how to translate any of the ones that I know, although I can pretty well, you know, hum along with them. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, basically, uh, at the end of uh, the night. Full circle. Full circle, yeah. That's, that's when the ceremony ends. And yeah. it ends, you know, in a, in a, in a, um, a certain... Uh, way that is accepted as you know the end of the peyote ceremony, and uh, as, as soon as ah I forgot to mention during the night when people have been have been consuming the peyote and their their throats feeling a little dry, the peyote woman comes around. She's got a bucket and and she and a and a scoop and she serves water to anyone who wants it. Usually everyone does. Oh sure yeah. yeah. So, so there's there's that uh, aspect to the ceremony as well. Um, it's uh, you know you can easily ask, well, how ancient is this this ceremony? And the honest answer for me is we don't really know, but we do know that a um, uh, hundred years ago it was very well understood and very oh, well sure. followed. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I can definitely imagine that. It's probably more ancestral than we probably even think because the way they documented history was all oral. Absolutely. Right. And, yes. uh, and that gets lost, especially as civilization changes. Um, that's a great, and, and it sounds like it's so, you know, it, it's a combination of all these senses. Yes. Not just psychedelic, but that's right. everything, feel, touch, uh, music. Even the beat of the drum is at 240 beats per minute, oh, per which minute. has a stimulating effect on the cerebrum. <clears throat> wow, interesting. So, yeah, whenever you hear a song and and the you know your uh, or you hear somebody say something really cool or interesting, mm -hmm. the hairs on your arm just kind of go, just kind of come right on up. That yes. that's that special intangible 
feeling that I, I personally believe it's very healing. And uh, apparently, would you would you say that people go out of the uh, the ceremony or come out of the ceremony uh, feeling healed? Absolutely, either either healed or uh, having having sentiments about the person who was the focus of all this healing, you know, sort of raised to a next higher level. Interesting. And so they're on a different plane. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. That's so cool. And now us as a society are trying to figure our way through this. um, uh, It seems like it's a a lot of uh, red tape to get through to uh, let society know, hey, this is okay. This has been happening. How are we going to administer it and heal people from here? So um, what do you think? Do you think doctors, do you think education will change uh, from this? Because a lot of doctors you you look at right now, they're hardcore science in the medical field. And, um, you know, you wouldn't think that somebody that's going to test your blood pressure, give you like a, a vaccine shot or something. Uh, would be also writing you a prescription for psilocybin. But do you think that is the future? Do you think a different discipline will kind of arise uh, as far as our medicine, our medical professionals? That's the real trick. You know, we're playing catch up. We don't have generations to figure this out like like the indigenous people did. We have to figure it out now. We don't have that cultural tradition. So, you know, there may be some sort of facilitators that, that come about that, that do this as a live for a living as a practice. It may be doctors, maybe both. Mm-hmm. Some people might do good in a clinic, better in a clinical setting. Some people might do better in the facilitator setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as with a wide variety of people, you know, a wide variety of applications is probably prudent, um, so that we can reach the, the, the wider number of people. Um, and the good thing about the, the science is the science is, is supporting us. They just came out with a study, <clears throat> excuse me, where they showed that a single dose of psilocybin with therapy is as effective as Lexpro taken regularly, which is the most effective antidepressant that's on the market right now. Mm. Well, and what? then this is David and to jump in is what's interesting is to go back to what you were speaking about the beats per minute and uh, the effect of that in combination is that there are studies that me and Daniel have been talking about ironically in this just the last couple of days about this is that. Uh, music actually does change your your brain waves and different beats per minute, different repetitions of drum beats, different bass rhythms, different pitches will change the way that your brain functions. And not only that, they've shown that the same people listening to the same music will have synchronized brain patterns. Interesting. And that not only that, but you and the person playing the music will synchronize. Wow. And so you combine that with these and that's why it's, it is more... It, the group in, it interacts with each other neurochemically. And how? Because the music is syncing you. Wow. And then there's even a tradition, this is Daniel, you know, there's even a tradition of rhythmic drumming that can create a certain, um, certain, I wouldn't say psychedelic, maybe sub-threshold psychedelic effects. Um, certainly it changes how your mind is working, your neurochemistry for a certain amount of time. Um, and, and that's just with drums alone. Yeah, you know, sans any any sort of substance. So adding that with the medicine is probably very very powerful, very very large big component to the healing part. I think that he's right, and also similarly that there's going to be multiple ways. I envision it that you're going to have the religious model, and I think mm-hmm. that there's going to be 
a, a lot of religions that form around these things because ayahuasca has been approved sure. and it's been protected by the federal government through the Supreme Court. Peyote for Native Americans, and I eventually think there'll be Supreme Court cases allowing other people. And I don't like using the word peyote, like Lafafora as a species, Lafafora Williamsi. Similarly, I mentioned ayahuasca tea, and I mentioned DMT tea. Um, even these names are for certain groups are sacred. And so yeah. it's like, how should we even be speaking about these things as culturally sensitive? And it, we've all heard these words so many times, and so it's really difficult to remove them mm-hmm. from our everyday discussion. But when we're talking about it in terms of science and medicine, well, there are times when we are talking about the thing they're talking about, the, right. these sacred cultures. And there's times when we're not, and I think it's important to differentiate also. Yeah. Um, but that I think the religious model will serve a lot of those types of people, um, like people who want that type of, and will have healing through that. But then I also, as he said, think there's going to be groups that people who are not comfortable and will not be comfortable with that type of setting and will need an inpatient. Mm-hmm. And then there's things like DMT, which can be administered through like vape pens or other methods. And you have shorter reacting duration. And oh, so you can have, the goal is to develop some of these in a way that you can also have, um, easier access for therapy because you have something where you experience it It lasts for under an hour, 30 minutes. We're so far away from being able to get to those type of delivery methods though. And right um, now where we're at, um, like some of these plants are very sacred, especially to certain tribes that are indigenous to the same lands that those plants are. And, um, there has to be a conservation of those plants and possibly protection for those specific tribes and the people that are connected to those tribes to be able to have that religious model or the ceremonial model for that treatment or for that medicine. But that probably won't work for Westerners or say people in Europe or Asia as those populations grow. So the real goal for this in my eyes is to synthesize these molecules and Mm -hmm. and to get them into pharma, which is probably the, the most effective way of protecting the plants for the indigenous people and protecting their ceremonial rights. And at the same time, being able to take these medicines to a wider range of people. Exactly. Wow. And I second that. Um, and our goal is to, as we study these, hopefully with Sol Ross and, and Martin is uh, that we identify how the plant makes it. And then we take those genes in the process and we put it into yeast or bacteria because they're a lot better chemists than we are. Right. Sure. As yeah. evidenced by the fact that you often get multiple uh, forms of the same basic molecular model, but but here's another methyl group here, and here's you know, <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's an ocean of research to be discovered right now, and uh, we all have our paddles uh, in hand, getting ready to uh, traverse this really interesting and mysterious new world of uh, something that uh, has been uh, around since the dawn of mankind. You know. Uh, that's awesome. Are there any kind of closing thoughts that you'd like to, to, to cap the conversation out with? First off, thank each and every one of you for being here. I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, you're all very unique and interesting and I support uh, your cause 100%. Uh, what kind of closing thoughts would you like to leave us with and the listeners? I, I would just like to say that I hope that these things can help people as much as they've helped me. Um, I hope that hearing about this will, make somebody who hears this feel less afraid of it and more open to the idea that things that may scare them and they may have been told could hurt people can help people. And and that, as you said, that we're all people and that 
Um, even people you may think of as bad or doing bad things are the way they are because of what has happened to them. Right. And things like psychedelics can help those people heal, which can help heal the world. Awesome. That's great. Well, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, that's well said. And, um, there is another component of it. I think for some of those indigenous tribes that there's been a lot of ancestral trauma and, um, have a lot of the negative impacts of colonization or um, loss of land and things like that, where it can be very healing um, and there isn't enough science to prove that. So I think it's, it's very important. We all keep an open mind into being able to not shut off our thoughts about a soul or spirit and how those things interact with science and our internal life force. Oh man. Yeah. I love that's So well said, well said. That's great. Well, thank y'all so much for being here. I look forward to doing this again. And uh, if you want to keep, you're always welcome back. And uh, y'all, ha- y'all, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank so we'll you. definitely be back and would love to keep updating you. Yep. Keep us updated. Let us just make a few more discoveries and we'll bring them to you. All right. All right. Well, thank you all very much. I appreciate it. We'll see you next week on Science Nights in the Morning. Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you, and thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the Morning with a K, and we'll see you next time.